This is the final, final, final <laughs> word, Ashes, final word, uh, with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Uh, Hello. Final thank you and farewell to our friends at Westfield London, Westfield Stratford City, the Field of Dreams. Who knew? I've learned so much more about Westfield than I thought I would have known. <sighs> and uh, What a beautiful relationship, What a beautiful Jeff. relationship. Uh, if, if Westfield kissed me in a meadow, I would lift one foot off the ground because I would be so swept away with the emotion. And in a way, I feel like they have, uh, if, if, if one could fall in love with the shopping centre. I have now. This is this is the the not daily because we knew that when we recorded the daily, we would be so caught up in the detail yep. of what had happened on day five at the Oval. So this is the the season retrospective. Um, if you are watching the video version of this, you'll notice that we're sitting in a commentary box and sus- wearing suspiciously the same clothing as we were in the Daily Show. Because yes, we're not doing the daily with a day to think about it because we're both going to be somewhere else hopefully um, not recording a podcast tomorrow so we're going to do it today even though when you hear it it will already be tomorrow so for you tomorrow will be different that's how time works I'm willing to take our audience into our confidence yep we did record a story time before play today then Mm -hmm. we commentated the entire day then we did our daily show earlier Um, I did a number of post play interviews the Mm -hmm. various other commitments that we've both got you wrote an article for the Guardian we uploaded with enormous difficulty um, the um, Daily Show to YouTube, which took way longer than it ever has before. For some, just just for a just for a final fuck you yes. to us for doing yes. the work for the series. It was like, oh, this thing that normally works didn't work. So if you're wondering why the video took, I don't know, two hours after play to get up, it's because I was spending all of that time swearing at a computer. Well, it can timestamp it. It's 23 past 10. And after this, we're recording the weekly show because mm. we prepared that too. When all the wickets were falling today, we were taking turns at prepping for that too. So that's how it has to work sometimes. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll still um, give it a red hot go because all the episodes are slightly different from the one that came before it. They are. Um, and that is that's that is the very nature of Can't Stop, Won't Stopism, which is our guiding mm. philosophy here. But we wanted to think about the series because yep. it's, I mean, it's curious. You come to the end of it, it's too all. Um, and I'm sure there will be, there seems to, there certainly was leading up to this test a lot of, well, who's actually better? Which team actually is the deserved winner? You know, moral ashes bullshit aside, and which was all fun and games for a while. Like, who who deserves to be the winner? Um, and I think you could look at it from an English perspective and say, well, if we hadn't been rained off, then would have won the fourth test match and therefore that makes 3-2. Although, of course, if England wins the fourth test match, then this is a different test match and something else happens in it. Um, but with the head of steam that England had, maybe they well, there's a good chance they would have won this one as well. And I mean, seeing a, a comeback from 2-0 down to 3-0 up would have been historic in every way and, and sensational. But I, I think also it's a bit of a morass that you can get trapped into to yeah, say who yeah. was actually better because, you know, the team that came out and won the first two games of the series has a pretty good claim to being a, a good cricket team as well. Brat and I spoke about this in, in our end of play spot. Um, Australia were the better team in June and England were the better team in July. And the very fact that... You don't um, win premierships in June or July. <laughs> well, the Ashes didn't start till the 1st of August in 2019. I'm just seeing that's some those Instagram memories come up and reminding me that this was preview day at Edgbaston four years ago. Did they not start until the 1st, 1st of, August. of August? because of the... Um, World Cup finished World on Cup. the 14th of July. Then, what did we do uh, in between times? A little bit later than that. It might have been like the 17th of July. There was the Ireland Test match. The um, there was the match. women's test match at Taunton. We went along to for a week as well. It was a tour game that Australia yeah. played down at Kent. Yes, they played a tour game. There was stuff. There was the there was the, the, there were the Lions. 
played Australia A. Uh, and the Australia the Australia, Australia game. internal. The Hicks the 12 same, versus the Haddon 12. Which was the same week as the Island Test match, which is why I didn't go. There Believe go. it or not, there are, there are very few people on this earth who uh, did radio commentary for both the Lions and Australia A game and the Hick 12 versus Haddon 12 game. And I, you were it. I met. You were the one. The only person on that Venn diagram. I'm <laughs> squarely in the middle. So to come back to your point, like, this battle of ideologies, if you like, has been how the series was set up and, mm -hmm. and it really played out that way. Yep. Both sides lent more and more into um, the style of play that it was perceived they'd play like at the start. I think we thought, you know, the old um, sort of, you know, yeah, Basball's all good and well, but do it against Cummins, Hazelwood, mm -hmm. Stark and Lyon. Yeah, well, they did. Well, not Lyon because he wasn't there. Well, they did while he was there, mm. albeit with Lyon not still taking eight wickets in, in the first test match. But they, 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 scored, a, a, um, a, they scored runs at a run rate against mm. Lyon that was commensurate with the other bowlers. Um, they got quicker, England, through the series, you know. They got more, if you want to call it that, Basball in their disposition, they refined it. They ironed out the kinks. They mm. hit their um, pull and hook shots from up to down by design because they realised that trying to smack every ball um, over the rope at Lords when the short yeah. pitch strategy arrived. And in hindsight, that was an inevitability. It's like the singularity, right? Like that all things reach its natural end point. And mm -hmm. for this, with England playing the way they were, um, it was inevitable that Australia would, would deploy that. And England, in return, would too, and mm -hmm. that became a bit of a stalemate at Lords in the in the in the early stages of the series. But yeah, once England got through that, and they brought in fresh blood, and we'll come to this in a little bit. Um, it was really interesting to see two teams playing very very different brands of cricket with the bat, and watching two sides come up against each other at the perfect time. Australia mm -hmm. World Test champions started the new cycle, a team that's quite. On the old side, not everybody, but you know, most of the players in the Aussie team won't be here in four years' time. And an England side that have some veterans, sure, but um, you go through their top six or top seven, I think most of them will be in the top six and top seven the next time Australia here in four years' time. And we might deal with a bit of that at the end of this particular program. But yeah, I mean, the Ashes are always better in England anyway, for whatever reason. Yeah. Close Ashes series in Australia, the last time he went down to straight with the Ashes to be won in the fifth test, I think was in 82-83. It's um, funny, isn't it? Because it's not like the, 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 it isn't sort of history masturbation. It isn't. It isn't that kind of nonsense you get at Lords of oh, we all have to bow down and respect the the historical home of everything. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Because the first test played in Australia, the Ashes are effectively as a as a thing, as a concept, are created in Australia when, yep. when the, the the catalyst game happens at the Oval, but the creation of the name, the nickname, and the trophy, and all the rest of it. It comes in Australia, so it's not it's not this kind of nostalgia wank kind of situation that it must be in England because secretly we're all sort of colonials who actually want to bow down to the to to the, to the sort of maternal empire figure master and, and get tied back to the apron strings and all the cliches. Right. So it's not that. It's just that the contest is better. It is, um, and, and the that's bowlers what, are in the game more. They are, and that's what makes Stokes' declaration this evening that he will lead England to Australia in two and a half years' time all the more, all the more compelling, right? So I think if he still has two, well, I framed up point, Stokes yeah. as like maybe he's in his last year of international cricket. Mm. Yeah, he'd retired from the one day stuff last year. He has very lucrative deals playing in in T Twenty cricket at his disposal whenever sure. he wishes to have them. I know he didn't play a lot of IPL, but he was injured, and he'll he'll have um, the chance to play more as a specialist bat, I suppose. Maybe he ends up as England's long term number three in the absence of his bowling. Maybe he becomes Tony Gregg and bowls off spin. I tell you what, I've watched him bowl a lot of off spin out in the middle here at the Oval mm -hmm. this week. And 
he's very good at it. But, you know, maybe McCullum's there as well. And I hope he is. You know, Stokes and McCullum leading this particular type of England team to Australia would make mm-hmm. that a far more interesting series than the one we had 18 months ago. So, yeah, this division between the teams will... I don't think it'll get even any wider than it is at the moment. I would expect and anticipate that teams will play more like England as we advance. I think that will become more the norm. I sense that. I don't know. I might be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but but still, it's been watching someone like Usman Khawaja face 1,258 balls at a strike rate of, you know, 30-something mm-hmm. up against you know, Harry Brook, whose strike rate through the series is 90-something, Crawley as well, his opposing number, Khawaja's in a way. Um, that is exciting and fascinating in and of itself. And the 2-2 scoreline, I hope that Australian fans don't get too invested in the idea that um, um, we was robbed because of the ball thing. That absolutely played a role on the final day. I don't want to dismiss it as an input, but don't get too wrapped up in it. It's not the we was robbed thing. It's that this broadly landed where it should have. Mm. Um, one side dominated the start of the series. The other side dominated the second half of the series. A two-all scoreline is perfectly mm-hmm. in keeping with that kind of series, and that's yep. okay. And that there okay. are yeah, and there are bits there. There are parts sections where each team wins games, and there are sections where each team contributes to themselves losing games. Exactly. And fundamentally, I think it's it's England not getting the batting approach right in the first two tests. The second innings at Edgbaston um, yep. and the first innings at Lords are the times when they stuff it up, where they go too hard and they lose wickets too quickly. And then Australia stuff it up at Headingley when they're ahead in that game and they should win that game. They should close it out and they don't. Those are those are the, the lost opportunities where either team had their opportunities to win the series outright and they didn't because they didn't get it right at a key moment. There'll be books and documentaries made about this series because it's one of the modern greats, you know, whether it's as good as O5. I, I mean, I don't think it... I know after the third test I said it had the potential mm-hmm. to be that but in order for it to have truly materialised this needed to be um, a test where England could win the series I think it was yeah, a bit I different think you in need 05. a winner as well at the end of it like the shared the shared series doesn't quite lend itself to greatness because oh. there has to be there has to be that state something at stake in the sporting had contest. there been jeopardy yeah I'm just trying to think of it how, if it could have been to all and been as great I think the even if I five if Australia win on the final day and it's a two all draw in that series we still think of 05 being 05, I think. It, it yeah. reached that boiling point through test th- two, three, and four. Whereas it, this one, still... it was the deflation after mm. Manchester, the sodden final day, the retention of the ashes yeah. in those slightly unusual circumstances the coming here. The underlay of 05 is still the underdogs overturn the champions. That's... Yeah, certainly the champions. I, I, again, I don't, I don't share the view that they were necessarily the underdogs, but I, I, certainly the, 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 the team... I, I, I still can't believe you genuinely think that. Like, the, the, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. The, the 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 England team of 05 winning definitely contributes to the overall narrative of it. But my point after three test matches, mm. we had three tests within the margins of what people call a close finish within three four. wickets. Four tests. That's what I was going to say. This yeah. is the fourth in that. Right. You know, four out of five. The problem was Manchester. Mm. Manchester sucked the oxygen out. Whereas in 05. It was fever pitch when we left Trent Bridge and sure. came here for the fifth test match. Yeah. So that, that's the difference. It was just the sequencing thing. Had we had the bad test match to start at Edgbaston, yeah. and we had the four close ones after that, maybe this does feel like the 05 conclusion. And equally, equally a, an 05 Manchester draw is a very different thing to a, a 2023 Manchester a- draw. Absolutely. Because it's a different kind of draw. You know, you can, It's not just the draw that's a problem. It's, well, it's, it's the it's best kind of draw in 05, wasn't it? Sure. Where it's the, the tail end trying to bat it out. And I think it's an interesting thought exercise. And I, I wrote some notes before we recorded this about the, 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 the big moments in each test match. And, you know, 
viewing them in a little bit of hindsight, not too much hindsight, but in the case of Edgbaston, six weeks hindsight as to where they fit and how we feel about them. So like, you know, the Leach Moen transition from nowhere, mm -hmm. you know, that simple text message seven weeks ago and the benefits of that are borne out on the final day, on the final afternoon of the series where Moen gets his groove, takes three of the five wickets in that flurry and it all comes together seamlessly and in doing so he can end his test career mm. the way he would have loved to have ended it rather than kind of putting out a press release as he did a couple of years ago saying I'm kind of done with red ball cricket you know and so be it and sure. had a great time catch you later this feels more meaningful that he's done it in a series like this yeah and it, and it took that time and then eventually paid off when he was crocked as well and, and injured and all the rest of yeah. it um, The I mean day one at Edgebaston was just a lot of chaotic fun and the early declaration I mean I quite enjoyed it you know I thought it was a bit showy and a bit silly but it was also you know why not um and and i and god people went on about it for the next few weeks but like i've said a bunch of times on the show if, if you're in a position where you've got 50 runs to defend and you need to get through pat cummins nathan lyon and josh hazelwood you should be able to do that i still so, support the declaration i, I know i'm totally and... against the grain here but the thinking was that they get a crack at david warner with mm -hmm. broad on day one after making 393. I know hindsight makes it look a bad move, but it doesn't make but it a bad it move in the moment. Move. I don't think it looks like a bad move in hindsight because I think England still put themselves in a position to win that test. Yeah, I mean, the other side of that is that Joe Root was batting like a dream and they could have made 500. And Anyway, it's by the by. Maybe, but probably not batting with two, you know, two wickets in hand. He's probably not going to get him to 500. Nevertheless, I'm, I'm saying that I supported what they did at the time. I still think it was a worthwhile punt, but mm. it was a punt and it did backfire because they lost the game. The uh, the Because, of course, they had not as many runs as Australia and lost the game in turn. That's, that's kind of the point. You know, that Australia had enough time to get the runs on the final day had they been chasing 50 more. Anyway, moot point. Um, the boundary first ball, the Crawley booming cover drive, which all I did an interview on, on the field of play. You know, maybe an hour before, something like that. Um, and did some, you know, lots of pre-game media, as you would have as well. And we did lots of stuff on the podcast too. And so much of it came down to, can they do it against Pat Cummins and co? And then for Crawley to, yeah, it's a long half volley and all the rest of it, but to smack the hell out of it. It wasn't just a cover drive. It was a, the full kitchen sink. It was full commitment to the bit. First ball of the series, it, it, it's an iconic moment straight away in Ash's history. Mm -hmm. um, the response in the commentary boxes on ComCam and, you know, the belief that it instilled within the England dressing room that, fuck, we're actually going to have a real crack at this mm -hmm. and this is possible. We can do this. And it may be one delivery in isolation and sure, Australia end up winning the test, but th there was something to that. I like the, um, the, little, the little bit where... Boland and Cummins come out when it's absolutely leaden skies and yeah. they get those few overs at England's openers. Um, and, and, you know, it felt like real difficult, proper England sort of moving around, ball moving around sort of cricket. And then the next morning, a reverse ramp first ball from Joe yes. playing two off Boland. Well, he didn't hit the first one, did he? But he hit the next two. He hit the first one and then he missed the next. I feel like he missed the one off Cummins' first ball and nailed yeah. the next two off Boland. Anyway, the point is, is that Root going full reverse first ramp. First ball of the day that he hits... Did he, he I thought, does he miss the first one? Doesn't no, he? Doesn't the first the one, one go over his stumps? I mean, my memory's. I feel like the Boland, the, the two Boland ones are the ones he nails. Either way, um, the very fact that he he was encouraged oh, by yeah, Stuart no, Broad. He, he did miss the first one. That's right. Stuart Broad saying, going, "What is he doing?" And yeah. then he just does it again and nails it. Yeah, yeah it was the right, next over right. when hitting Boland out of the attack. Yeah. But saying who who was all over them under leaden skies, and the next day, suns out, suns out, plums out, and you know, Broad saying to Root. If you want to play a reverse ramp first ball, you do you. You play yeah. a reverse ramp first ball. So he did. And that kind of set off this chain reaction where England um, 
that poorly relative to where they should have been. They were then kind of behind, giving Australia a chaseable yep. tally. And the atmospherics on that final day, from memory, there was quite a bit of rain and Australia had to do the majority of their chasing in like maybe a session and a little mm -hmm. wee bit. Wasn't a particularly long time. England taking consistent wickets, them getting home, the way they got home with Cummins the line, one of the true great Ashes finishes and, yep. and you know, lays a marker early on that Australia can, can win their way. They don't need to conform, but um, you know, the leadership of Cummins at, at the death there to keep his shit together with Nathan Lyon, two experienced men who wanted it badly um, with the benefit of hindsight that'll, that'll be viewed with cold comfort from, from Cummins. You know, mm. it, it laid the foundation for the retention, but from there, of course, they should be winning the thing. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, from slightly from a personal perspective, but the hype of like a brilliant last day finish in the women's test at Trent Bridge, hustling back to London, having your wedding on the one intervening day <laughs> and then going into day one of the Lord's Test the day after that. Yeah. Oh, it was quite something. I mean, I've got no voice at the moment, but I was very, very worried about my voice in the lead up to the wedding and the first day of Lord's because I gave it everything at Edgbaston. I was completely knackered. Wedding was coming up, not a lot of sleep, buck stag day in the middle of all of that. Meanwhile, behind... Uh, what in the in the um in the in the air war Ollie Robinson talking about you know England really having won that first test that started we the moral played ashes. all the cricket I we played all the it, cricket yeah. we played all the cricket took us inside the dressing room of Brendan McCullum saying it felt like a win and, and all the rest of it like mm. that that's where the you know the moral ashes storyline or thread begins yep. in that wisdom.com column yep um and then I mean that England uh, hooking collapse that I talked about and then Nathan Lyon hobbling off yeah. injured I mean that's that is the moment of the series to me. Like I, I don't see Manchester happening the way the way it panned out if Nathan Lyons in that team. Like you realise sure. how important he became over that span, hundred tests in a row um, across his entire career. He'd missed four tests since since he first came into the team. All those years ago, um, extraordinary, extraordinary longevity, and then while being celebrated for it, rips his calf off the bone um, and, and has his hobbling down the steps thing to come out and bat, add some runs that are probably important in the wash-up at the end of the match. Another great moment, the Nathan yeah. line down the stairs waiting with James Anderson to walk mm -hmm. out through the gate. Anderson saying, what the fuck are you doing here? Mm -hmm. And Lyon saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk out, but waiting, knowing that he wouldn't get there in time. He'd be yeah. timed out. Um, if uh, if he had have gone down at the, the normal time, and that is the 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 passage of play that precedes Cummins and Stark, just like immersive spell of bowling. You know, Cummins gets one to go through the gate. Um, no, sorry, uh, hit the top of off, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. It was Stark. He went through the gate of yep. um, of Crawley. You know, both of them doing what they do best. Um, Stark with the late swing, Cummins with the more subtle movement, mm -hmm. and doing it at crucial times for Australia to give themselves. You put themselves in a position where the only yep. way they could lose that test was something remarkable happening and something remarkable did. Ben Stokes makes 155. Yep. The vast majority of that after the stumping, yep. which put cricket front and centre in ways that it's frustrating, but it's also kind of exciting as well. When that Kerry yeah. Bear thing happened, I knew exactly what was about to play out, um, uh, you know, in the spirit of cricket. Uh, arena right um, and so it proved you know you and I were in hot demand doing TV interviews around the world Piers Morgan's show and and all of those requests those bizarre requests that we were getting and 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 all of us collectively declined as a press pack until <laughs> Pete Lawler put his head up on there which was quite funny for different reasons yeah um, I, I just I didn't enjoy that few days at all like it, it actually it makes my heart sink when things like that happen because you're like oh god here we go it's just it's just going to be ugliness and slagging off and and everybody telling 
telling everybody else that they're idiots. I think we learned a bit, though. I reckon that might be our best episode of the run, was talking about what we learned about the cultural differences sure. between Australian and English cricket, like how our views matured and evolved over those mm-hmm. two or three days, where others, I think, got more trenchant. We probably came a bit the other way and mm-hmm. understood it a bit more because we were in the firing line yep. um, and our comments reflected that. And then <laughs> and then going to Leeds and it's like revenge of the nice guys. You know, Chris yeah, Wokes comes yeah. into that match and is influential. Mitchell Marsh comes in and makes that that feel good hundred, just one of the purest striking hundreds you'll see. Cummins like and, and, Cummins response on the balcony to Marsh's yeah. hundreds a real highlight for me too. Like they love Marsh and the full circle from the Oval twenty nineteen. All of that was great energy. And Mark Wood coming in and bowling like the wind smashing through Australia oh, yeah. and, and then yeah eight balls that he faces that that, that changed the series with the bat yeah the, the spelly bowled to Kawaja and to Labashane I, I went outside and watched it on the balcony at Leeds with Hartley and with Norcross and what was like we weren't even really talking to each other we were just like absorbed and uh, consumed by watching the speed radar get progressively quicker and quicker and hearing later that Anderson Jimmy Anderson had predicted that Wood would break 100 mile an hour um, that day um, he, I think he said it to the Tailenders WhatsApp group he thought what he saw in training was that Wood was going to break 100 and he nearly bloody did um, believe the hype stuff and then to go through the tail the 5 for 4 collapse or whatever mm-hmm. it was for Wood or 4 for 5 I think he took in that collapse at the end and really put the frighteners up Australia that was by far the best day of the series to mm-hmm. that point on a great surface yep and then Travis Head doing the sort of mini Stokes innings that 77 where he's whomping it off his legs into yeah. the crowd taking on the short ball and, and, that, and that session too right we never expected a session on that Saturday no, afternoon true we, we, we'd rec- uh, behind the curtain Jeff and I had recorded our end of day podcast we had done all of our work assuming there wouldn't be a ball bowled only for them to say uh, they're on in 20 minutes like what yeah uh, so um, yeah sometimes when it's pissing it down with rain we try and get try and get uh, some things Ahead in the can the um, but yeah that that Travis Head six hitting display, um, getting Australia to a credible you know tally in the second innings, which all follows England mm. falling into that deep hole and being one forty two for seven, needing Wood and Stokes to get them out of trouble. The two Durham boys um, taking on Todd Murphy and and that I mean yeah that is the turning point. Mm. You can look back to Bearstow and and um, and Carey, but the reality is Australia put in a pretty decent effort in the first innings at Leeds in the context of Wood bowling as quickly as he did. And then having them seven for 142 with them misfiring badly with Root and Bairstow falling in quick succession on that second morning to scrap back from there with Wokes, with Wood. It was thrilling stuff. And then Harry Brook, the sort of coming of age story on the last day, um, gets them home. It's 2-1. And and I remember being asked at that point, you know, will will Australia be shaken up by that? And I thought, well, no, you know, they'll they'll shake it off and whatever. You've you've lost one test match. You only need to win one of the last three. Um, They'll be fine. And then they go into Manchester and just get absolutely ploughed into the ground. Yeah, I thought it would. I thought it would turn the series there. I, I just sensed that England played such such exciting cricket that week at Leeds that it, it had a pretty good chance of morphing into the Manchester test. In a way, it feels odd that we had a nine-day gap between mm. Leeds and Manchester. I know some of our colleagues got away. We were immersed in um, you know, in, in what we were doing still. We, yeah, it was the end um, of the women's series with the one day. End of the women's and... series. I was doing a domestic game here at the Oval, actually, a four-day game, county game, and it was it was like, yeah, the air went out of the balloon for a couple of days and I felt like it served Australia's interests for the momentum to keep mm. rolling on. Instead, having time to think about it, to sack David Warner 25 times between Leeds and Manchester, sure. every column you read. The Green, Marsh, 
um, back and forth. Yep. Uh, you know, even what we were saying about maybe Glenn Maxwell comes mm-hmm. in. Who knows? That might have worked well. Who, who, I, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to revisit history there. The Todd Murphy getting almost talked out of his spot in the team. Yep. I don't think Murphy gets dropped if it's a three-day turnaround. No. I think over time we considered that number eight position a floating spot, whereas before it was a bowler spot. And in the end, not having Murphy or a recognised yeah. spinner did hurt them at Manchester. Well, it was a lack of decisiveness because they had Green coming back and, and Marsh having just made the 100 and they yep. tried to you know, jam them both in there and it just didn't work. Um, the fit didn't work. It didn't didn't feel right as a team, although you know, maybe Green there would have been crucial if they'd had to bat more time. Broad get, picks up his 600th wicket. Australia yep. batting first, don't sort of finish off what they need to do with that innings. I mean, if if Australia bat another two sessions, like, yeah, it ends up being a draw, but they are in control of that draw um, and they don't get sort of ritually humiliated in front of everybody <laughs> by having to bowl for the next two days. Yeah, the um, the, the top edge from Travis Head just after T wasn't it, to get Broadley's 600th wicket. And that summed up the whole day where they were getting these important starts of partnerships mm. but couldn't go on and make them anything meaningful. And, that you know, they're bowling. I'm pretty sure they're bowling by... The final bit of day one, Australia. I don't think they made it to day two, or they might have just. They did actually. They just Cummins made it. Cummins gets that first, first ball, ball. Of the and day. that's an Anderson wicket at his home ground. His final yep. wicket at his home ground, yep. and all the rest of it. But and, yeah. and Broad getting Kawadra's five ninety nine. So and David Warner is being out there going, "Oh God, don't, 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 yeah. don't, don't let it happen." It didn't happen. Well, it we didn't touch on that at Leeds, did we? Either that, that um, Broad getting Warner in the first over of the Test match yeah. and pretty much jumping into the Western Terrace yep. like he was Pat Cash at Wimbledon in eighty seven, and then doing it again in the second. Second dig and yeah. you know, ignoring the, the Warner piece because we know he doesn't get dropped. But yeah. broad for a moment, um, really making it a live question whether Warner would survive. Yeah, the crazy partnership with Crawley and Root, the, oh, the sort of all-timer. just the, the ride your luck stuff with Crawley through the first hundred and then just dominating them after that, and then coming through to the the Bearstow stuff. All of the arguments about whether they should have gone harder and declared earlier, and it probably wouldn't have made a difference. But God, who knows the the way you saw England go through Australia here at the Oval in a couple of hours. Yeah, a, a low-key brilliant series, Joe Root. You know, the 118 not mm. out on opening day. Um, the 80-something he made in unison, um, mm. or in, in, in partnership, in union with, with Crawley. He he was so good that day. He, he controlled the tempo in that partnership. Mm. The 46 at Edgebaston that allowed Ricky Ponting to do that. He made forty odd. Now he's out. Yeah. Well, it was pretty bloody good while it lasted, and and the um, the ninety odd he made here, which you know again ninety one here. Yeah. Look back at it, and he has one century, and he might feel like he's underperformed based on his his regular rhythm of hitting a ton every other match of late. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, nowhere near the player of the series, but a low key fine performance. Yep. And then all of the absurdity about rain and how it was the first time a Test match had ever been washed out, <laughs> and we needed to completely revamp the sport because it wasn't fair. Because and yeah, it was frustrating that it, it it wrecked the positioning of the series for us as people who cover it. But also, come on, test matches get drawn. We said it ourselves. You know, we were both. Um, it's unusual for us to have a a stake in who wins, mm. but we were both invested in England winning at Manchester to build up this to be the the finales of all finales. And we don't quite get it. I mean, there are bits that are good, like you know, mm-hmm. Cummins on day one giving themselves a chance to bowl on this surface, which was a good shout. First yep. time they finally win the toss Cummins calls tails and it yep. comes down in his favour after four heads you know they kind the of the fact go, that he said at every toss of the series oh we would have bowled first but uh, yeah, it might yeah. not have worked out so well as changing. you know they go the complete opposite of baseball after England go at like five and a half and over on the first day or whatever it was and they dig in and it doesn't work but maybe it kind of works because their bowlers are tired having bowled so many spells and you know the opposite of that where we have England have the you know perhaps the most 
classical baseball day where they rack up was it 390 odd in the second innings mm. they they eliminate the deficit in one over the most expensive first ashes over ever after on day one having 15 deliveries in a row which they scored off which was breaking all the records as well um and yeah they get bowled out and murphy bowls well and all the rest of it mm -hmm. but as we talked about on on the daily shows of late it was the best expression the most controlled yeah. expression of what they've been talking about for and, a couple and of years. it's about doing enough and 380 is enough you know set a team 380 in the fourth innings you will win most of those matches it doesn't matter that it's been chased a couple of times it hasn't been chased all the other times and then broad down the stairs and while we're recording our podcast says actually that's me done yeah so just to add another layer of you know off field to mm. all this that broads columns coming out he, he talks to sky they have the montage ready and when we come off i'm bombarded with a yes. bunch of text saying, it was a very organized impulsive he's like oh, i just decided at 8 30 <laughs> last night and i just happened to have teed it up with the tv networks the newspaper um tipped off some of the <laughs> folk in the press box but not others who were completely screwed over by it because suddenly right. at 7.30pm having written all their copy for the day they have to suddenly deal with yeah. this retirement thing and go and scrap everything and write new pieces and all the rest of it. Then he gets not, the guard of honour and whacks a six right like yeah. you know after all of that you know uh, the, the eulogising of Broad's career and we were part of that we did an episode just before um, on morning four which feels like a long time ago boy yeah. um, hits that six last ball of his career which the crowd get a chance to get very excited about but then Australia had a great day and it gives us the chance for something special here mm -hmm. on the final day. It doesn't quite mature into that. Now we've got what's been called at home as ball gate after the change of ball. Okay. I said off the top, I don't want it to be too much of the, the, the you know, the, the, the post series We, we talked chat. about it on the Daily Show, so, you know, I think yeah. we've covered it. No, just simply to say that, like, that, that is the last thing, the last piece of... Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, the last bit of protein for those who th who need this kind of controversy and this back it, and forth. To it'll be you know in ten years' time when when a few sados are still hanging on to things that they're pissed about, and half of them will be saying, "Oh, Johnny Besto was oh, he tapped his foot. Oh, it was the end of the over." And the other half of the sados will be like, "Oh, but what about the ball? They changed the ball." <laughs> and that's it. That's fine. They can sit in a room together and yell at each other. I think while well, everyone else will be talking about the bales, certainly Broad <laughs> and anyone who will listen to Broad. Talk about that bit of magic, the changing the bales before he gets Todd Murphy next delivery, and you know if Australia sacked the chair of selectors, that'll also be changing the bales. Hey. Hey. And that's and that they are our moments of the series, yep. not just our moments, but I thought it was worth just going through that. And before we wrap up and say goodbye, it is worth just casting forward. So, yeah, this is a great rivalry in world sport, and it comes around every eighteen months and every two and a half years. Now we've got the longer gap, so it has time to. You know, sort of percolate and mature again and we, mm -hmm. we we have a fairly good idea of who's not going to be there for Australia and England next time um, but the, the, the distinct possibility that Stokes will um, you know question marks over so many Australian players like you know Stark Hazelwood Smith mm. you know Mitchell Marsh knowing that players like Matthew Renshaw are going to have their time to shine will they yep. make it to the next Ashes as senior players for Australia will England have you know uh, James Rue or, or Saqib Mahmood or Gus Atkinson or Jamie yep. Smith or all of them or none of them. Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned at the top that Crawley and, and, and Duckett and Root uh, and Brooke and probably Bairstow. Uh, I'm, I'm missing someone in there. Ollie Pope. Pope. They'll, yeah. they'll all be there in a couple of years' time. So it feels like that where the volatility yeah, best, might best more be. maybe. Uh, yeah. Touch and go. Yeah, 50-50 for best day. But I reckon all the others will be there in Australia. Also because he's such an eyeball player. You know, the, We have seen that that can dip quickly yeah. as well. So it, it's a it's a long two and a half years to yeah. try to get through. But yeah, sure, we know Broad and Moeen won't be there. Anderson 
Oh, God knows. <laughs> never say never. <laughs> never say never. Yeah. Um, I mean, Kawaji, absolutely 100% right off him being there. Who know, He could stick around until 38. I don't I, it's, it's It's a good point. Given the way he's playing as he is right now, he might feel like he's making up for a bit of lost time. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm just assuming that at 38 he's done. But Chris Rogers only returned to the test team yep, when he was Kawaji's age now and had yeah. two very productive years at the top of the list for Australia. Mm-hmm. You know, bowlers like Josh Tung, who've shown something. Sad that Tung only played one test. Yeah. Like, he was a really important contributor to that Lord's performance for England. Mm-hmm. I don't know that win, but they're nowhere near it without Tung taking those key wickets in the top four, as he did throughout. Likewise, Todd Murphy, mm-hmm. you know, played twice, didn't really play at Leeds, kind of played at Leeds. Here, he laid a marker. Battered at Leeds. Battered at Leeds. Here, he laid a marker with bat and ball, um, to show that when yep. the time's right for Nathan Lyon, there would be a great successor. Lyon, he'll be there still, I expect, because he's now seen as a more valuable asset than ever before. So I think we can say it's two all. It's a different feeling to all to the one in 2019, um, which was sort of anticlimactic in a lot of ways. It was, it was oh, well, Australia already had their peak when they, they had their attention and then it, it trailed off at the end. And, and this one feels different. Um, it feels more, you know, there was more of an upsurge towards the end. It feels like a reasonable result. And uh, I, I think I'm fairly happy to call it there. Yeah, it's a team um, that, that four years ago still had a lot of players coming to and just at their peak. This team has been at its peak and now they'll need to be regeneration. Didn't really talk about the quicks who might come through. Lance Morris, Sean Abbott, there'll be others, right? Um, four years ago, the big three and Lyon were the big three and Lyon. Mm-hmm. That's not as conclusive anymore. You know, Pat Cummins won't be leading this team forever. He's been pretty clear about that. He'll be a member of the ranks. But, you know, where does Mitch Stark fit in? Where does Josh Hazelwood fit in? These are open questions now. And that's the great thing about Test cricket. It's it's an ongoing um, fluid process selection and, and replacement of players and why it makes these contests so great because when generations go through together, like we've just seen pretty much end here at the Oval, mm-hmm. um, it feels all the more nourishing because we've watched their journey from the start. All right. This has been the final word, Ashes. Farewell. <laughs> the wrap, the overview, the retrospective, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's been a hell of a series. Thanks for taking the ride with us. Thanks to Westfield for looking after us throughout. Thanks to all of our patrons who, at the core, make all of this possible. If not for them, we, we wouldn't be able to do the things that we do. So patron.com forward slash the final word. If you want to join up there, be part of our history show, be part of our Discord, be part of our meetups, be part of our live shows, all of that other um, side of things that mm-hmm. um, that means an awful lot to both Jeff and I. And yeah, to reiterate your words about Westfield, they've been a really cool partner. Loved working with them and hoping we can do a lot more with them uh, in the near future. Right. So that's been the final word. A. Collins, G. Lemon. We'll see you later. Bye. I had to go about it.